0: well good morning everybody a bit a little under the weather this morning actually I uh, popped a cough drop in thinking that Kyle had another song and it's still in my mouth right now (laughs) Um, so I don't know if I should just chew it up again (laughs) Uh, so (laughs) yeah Uh, so please turn your Bibles to Mark 6 as we continue studying the miracles of Christ. And uh, each time we looked at a miracle this summer, we see more Christ. We see more of his compassion, more of his power. We see more of Christ himself. And when we look at today, today we're looking at Jesus walking water, and that is exactly what we are going to keep seeing. Now this miracle is a familiar miracle, but we have to remember that and in the feeding of the 5,000, we saw that Christ was our compassionate shepherd and our powerful provider. And that is the same Christ who's with us when we go into a storm. The same Christ that sends these disciples into this intense storm that they're going to face and comes to them by walking on the water. Now, we often think of storms as periods in our lives where we are under great distress. Right? There's um, there's, we think of times of, of sorrow, uh, of depression, of hopelessness. And we certainly we certainly experience that. You might be experiencing ongoing health problems. There might be uh, long periods of financial difficulty where you're just waiting to see how the Lord's going to provide for the next day. Maybe it's a sudden death in the family. These are tough storms. These are tough periods in life that are certainly difficult and that test our faith. But they do something else. They cause us to lean on Christ all the more. Now, when I think about storms, I kind of want to give a, a, a bigger picture of storms. That's, those, those difficult times are certainly difficult seasons. Uh, but I think we have storms more often than we admit. Uh, I, anytime you're tempted by God, or tempted that, to think that God doesn't care, anytime you're thinking that God's not going to work in whatever situation you're, t- you're in, anytime you lose focus on the Savior or you lose sight of who re- He really is and your faith is tested, I think that's a storm. And we face storms like that every single day. You could be having a hard day of parenting challenges. That could be a storm. You could have tensions in, in your marriage. Even if it's just for a couple hours, that could be a storm. Maybe you have a difficult experience sharing your faith to somebody. That's a storm. So whether you're currently in in a large storm, you're in the middle of this large storm, or whether you're going to be in an everyday storm, we can look at this miracle and see that Jesus is going to teach us that we have hope in these storms. And this is what this miracle is going to teach us. This miracle teaches us that storms give a deeper clarity of Jesus. And what what we'll see is four encouragements, four truths that keep us anchored to Jesus as we go through those storms. Four encouragements that keep us anchored to Jesus as we go through the storms. I'm just going to list these these encouragements now, but we'll unfold them as we go through the text. We're going to see that Jesus has a plan for the storm, that Jesus comes to us in the storm, that Jesus comforts us in the storm, and finally, that Jesus delivers us from the storm. So Jesus has a plan. For the storm, Jesus comes to us in the storm. Jesus comforts us in the storm, and Jesus delivers us from the storm. So let's read our text. We're in Mark 6, Mark 6, verse 45. Read with me. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Peseza, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at the fourth night of the uh, fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. <coughs> Excuse me. For they all saw him and were terrified. Thank you. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Father, we look at this account... And we see your care for the disciples. That you didn't just let them go into a storm. You led them into a storm only to teach them something and only to show that you could comfort them. That you are the answer, that you are the Savior. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us that this morning as we open up your word. That we would have these truths stored within us so that we could use them in a time of, of, sto- of a storm. That, or if we're in a storm right now, that we would cling to these. As we wait for you to end the storm, Father, I pray for my own speaking ability. May you use you, may you use my weak state to glorify your name, for your truth to come alive and, and to be that hope. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. Before we begin, uh, we we gotta look at the context of our passage. Remember, we looked at this last week. That the, what just happened prior to the disciples getting on the boat was the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, and we remember the crowd. The crowd was there because they were more interested in the signs that Jesus was doing. They were looking at his miracles. They were looking that he could provide bread. And I'm sure some of those people saw the 5,000 men there and thought, here's our militia, here's our army. There's 3,000 soldiers in the area. We have 5,000 men right here. We could do this. Jesus could be our king, and we could break the Roman op- occupation. The problem that, is that the problem with that is that they did not see Jesus for who He was. They wanted Jesus for something else than he, for, for something else that he was offering. Now, when I look at the disciples, let's not think that the, the, the disciples were not susceptible to this kind of thinking, to this mob mentality. They, were st- they weren't standing off to the side saying, now, now, guys, Jesus has a plan. He'll, he'll set up his kingdom when he comes. I think they really wanted Jesus to become that king. Uh, we read through the Gospels that, that they argued, Jesus, who's going to be at your right hand? Because they picture the kingdom coming now. Even after Jesus is... Uh, uh, Resurrected and, and was talking to him before he ascended, they said, Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So the, the disciples at the feeding of the 5,000 were probably on board with the idea of Jesus becoming king right there. So Jesus, perceiving the crowd, perceiving what they wanted to do, dismisses them before they get out of hand, before be, they become that mob. And he sends the disciples into the boat. Look at verse 45. He says, Immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side, to Bethesda, while he himself was sending the crowd away. Now, if we look at that word, Jesus made his disciples. In the Greek, that's a very strong word. The Greek there is to, that Jesus forced his, uh, his disciples. He compelled them to get in the boat. And so he sends them towards Bethsaida. Towards he wants them out of there because what he sees in that boat is the future leaders of the church. And he needs those future leaders of the church to understand who he is. They can't be part of the crowd. They can't, be, they can't have that same mentality. He needs to teach them who he really is. So he sends in the boat. And it's not a far boat ride. They're just going to go a few miles west on the northern shore of Galilee. Shouldn't have taken that long. And so these disciples get in the boat, and I I just imagine them so confused as to what's going on there. Wait a minute, Jesus was just there, 5,000 men and plus women and children. He provided all his food for a small city, and he's sending us away? In addition, he's sending us away without him? What's going on here? Why is he not with us? Well, as we go through this, we're going to see that Jesus has a plan. He has a plan, and that is our first point, that Jesus has a plan for the storm. He wanted the disciples to see something. Remember what happened to the crowds. The next day, they, the, when Jesus and disciples go back to the store, what do the, the crowds do? They come up to Jesus asking for more food, asking for more signs, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and they walk away. Well, Jesus has that future church in the boat, and he needs them to believe. He needs them to see who Christ is. So Jesus puts them on the boat, and ultimately they're going to be going to the storm. And when we find ourselves in the, in, in the midst of a storm, it's easy to look at it as, a, as an inconvenience or as a, maybe as a punishment for something you did. You may start to ask, why am I going through this storm? How come the crowds over there are perfectly fine and I'm in the middle of the storm here? Well, it may not be, the storm may not be a punishment. Let me look at the disciples. They obeyed their, their Lord and got into the boat by themselves and headed into the storm. So it was because of their obedience that they end up in the storm in the first place. And He wants to show you something in the storm. You could be there because of obedience. You could be there because you're doing everything right and you still have the storm. He wants to show you something. And the storm is a perfect setting for that. The storm takes you out of your comfort zone. There's nothing else you could fall back back, back on but the Lord. And the fact that He has to plan for this changes the perspective of the storm completely. We don't see storms, we don't see trials at these, as pointless sufferings. They're not pointless sufferings. These are purposeful. God has something in plan. God wants to show you something in these storms. And now sometimes, when we go into a storm, we want to tell God exactly what we need to learn, right? We go into a storm and say, Okay, God, I know why you sent me this, why you sent me in here. This is why I got it And the storm now, and we can could, we could move on. Think about what that's saying to God. Saying, Lord, your plan isn't as perfect. There's some, We could do this a little bit faster. There's, there's a more efficient way of doing this. I can learn this without, without going through the trial. Well, let's not think that we're better than these disciples. And these disciples, they needed to go through this trial. They needed to see God for who he really is. And God knows best. He knows exactly when we, we need to hear it and at what time we need to hear it. Jesus has a plan for the storm. But what I like about this, this story, is, as we continue to see it, is that Jesus has a plan, but he doesn't set it in motion and step away. It's not like a little wind-up toy, that he winds up and puts you in this little wind-up boat, and you go into the storm. He is in, intimately involved in our storms. And so that's our next point. We see that Jesus has a plan for a storm, and that we're going to see that Jesus comes to us in the storm. So the disciples are in the boat, and where's Jesus? Verse 46. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Jesus is up in the mountain praying. So let's look at Jesus' day. He just spent a long day doing miracles, right? Uh, before he did the feeding of 5,000, he was surrounded by the crowd. Him and his disciples get away to take a rest. That rest was not very long. As soon as they got out of the boat, crowds again. And he, and he feeds the 5,000. So this is the end of a long day, and Jesus just needs that fellowship with the Father. You know, we see this time and time again in his ministry that he needs to get away, usually in the late, late night, middle mo- or early, early morning, he gets away to spend time in the prayer. In the meantime, the disciples are getting further and further away from God, Verse 47 stresses this. Look at verse 47. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land. So, Mark's emphasizing something here that the disciples are completely alone, and Jesus is alone on land. There's this huge separation here. And I just imagine uh, Peter telling Mark, right? Remember where Mark gets his gospel, mostly from Peter. And Peter is saying, We were just gone, we did not see Jesus. We were alone. We were like sailors without a captain. And we look at the time here. It says uh, when it was evening. Now, they just fed the 5,000. We saw last week that that was a late afternoon. So that was around uh, 3 to 6 p.m., somewhere within that range. When we look again, it's evening. This is a little bit later. This is from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. So the sun is going down. If not, has already set. And the disciples have nothing around. They're just in this boat. In the middle of the sea, and all they can see is whatever the moonlight is shining. And John says that they traveled three to four miles from the shore, so they are very far, and Jesus is alone on land. Let's forget. Let's not forget who these disciples are. Many of them were fishermen, right? And many of them were grew grew up or were from that area. They're from the Sea of Galilee. So they knew the Sea of Galilee from the back of, the, like the back of their hands. And that simple task of going from where the feeding of the 5,000 5, towards Bethsaida, that shouldn't have taken as long as it did. <clears throat> but we see why. Verse 48 tells us what happens. Verse 48, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. The winds had picked up, and the, when the, we're looking at the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is like this little bowl, and you have the water at the bottom, surrounded by these mountains, and when the wind picks up there, those waves pick up. It can get as big as 10 feet. And so they're in, in this little boat, in this fishing boat, that's meant to be lowered to the, to the water for, for fishing purposes, and here are these waves pummeling on them. Here's this, the, the wind going against them. They're straining at the oars. They're straining and they're rowing, and they're being harassed, they're being tormented by, by the wind and the waves. And they're putting all this effort and they just can't get the upper hand. These expert fishermen are at, at the end of the rope. Now I don't know if you could relate to this. If you ever put some, so much effort into something only to see yourself um, not getting anywhere. Um, <clears throat> I experienced this a little while ago. Uh, last winter I had a project. Um, I get, I'm off school during the winter, I get projects at home, that's just how, how it works at our house. <clears throat> and last winter my project was to sand and stain a, a table, or a dining table. So I haven't done this before, it's my first time, so I spent hours on the weekend stripping off paint. Um, I, I do all the sanding, and it's just hours. I mean, you could, you could imagine, maybe like a little 80s montage of me working, and that's just hours and hours of work. So at the end of the day, I call Daniela and say, hey, come out here. Look at this. Look what I've done. And she looks at it, and she says, so it's not going to be ready by Monday. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> All right. I, was, I, I pretty much got a leg done, and that was it. <laughs> and I think sometimes when we look at it, when we're in the trial, when we're in a storm, we feel that way. That we're, we're doing everything right, we're praying, we're, we're reading our scriptures, we're trusting in the Lord, and the storm rages on, and we're not getting anywhere. And we can find ourselves asking, uh, if we can find ourselves praying, like what the, the psalmist prayed: How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? And I'm sure that's exactly where the disciples were. That they were just working, straining at the oars and we saying, Where is our master? But this is the encouragement in the story. It's the beginning of verse 48. Seeing them. Seeing them. Christ sees you in this storm. That he sees this disciples straining and, and working hard late in this, into the night. Now when I, when I read that, I was wondering, is this, is this a physical scene? Is Jesus actually physical seeing, physically seeing them? And that is possible. We, we read that Jesus was up in the mountain. And when you go higher in elevation... The, the distance to the horizon increases. Uh, so it was possible to see them, but I, I think they, Jesus would, I mean, they're three or four miles away. Jesus just would have seen a boat if that, if the, if the moon was bright enough. I think what we're seeing here is a supernatural knowledge that Jesus was aware of their trials. Jesus was aware of the storm that they were getting them. And he sent them there in the first place. He knew the disciples were having trouble. And he sees our struggles too. We don't have to remind him. We don't have to update him, saying that we're now in a trial, please do something. And even though we may not see him, even though we may not feel him, he sees us. He sees us being tossed by those waves. And Philip de Corsi, one of of my favorite preachers, puts it this way, Jesus is closer than you think, and Jesus is more involved than you feel. Jesus is closer than you think and is more involved than you feel. And we have to remember that when we're in those storms, when we're surrounded by those waves and we don't see the master anywhere. Well, he sees us. Now he sees us, he sees the disciples in verse 48 and he does something about it. It's not, he just doesn't see it and says, well, I hope they make it to land. He does something about it. Read in verse 48, the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. Now, the fourth watch of the night, fourth, not, what's this thing? Fourth watch of the night, yeah. That is, that's, uh, Mark's using the Roman timing there, and that's a different time than when they left off. So the disciples got on the boat from 6 to 9 p.m., somewhere in that, re, in that time difference. Jesus sees them and comes to them. This is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So they've been at least on the boat in this water for six hours, maybe even more. And Jesus walks on the water to meet them in this storm. Now, Mark makes it really clear. Jesus was walking on water. You can't get around it. Many commentators will look at this and say, well, Jesus was actually on a, on a sandbar. And I'm like, well, aren't these expert fishermen? Wouldn't they know there's a sandbar right there? Uh, and, and they try to say, like, well, Jesus was actually on the shore. But Mark makes it so clear. This is something that no ordinary person could do. This is something that only the Son of God could have done. And so what's Jesus doing here? He's walking to them because he wants to display to these disciples his glory. He wants to just show them his power. And I think we would look at this and say, well, maybe he was going there to save them. Jesus could have done something else to say. He didn't have to walk out in the, in the water. Remember in Mark 4, we see the, the calming of the storm. Jesus, he doesn't stand in the storm. He just speaks to the, to the, to the wind. He says, hush, be, be still, be calm. And the wind stops. He could have done that on the shore, but his purpose in walking the water was not so that they get out of the storm. He wasn't going to go, that, that wasn't the, the, the purpose of it. That wasn't his, his, his goal. We look at verse 48. It tells us what he was doing. And he intended to pass by them. He intended to pass by them. Now this may sound confusing, uh, but we have to read it how it's written. It's not saying that Jesus intended to bypass them. He wasn't going to just oversee them, meet them at the other side. He wanted to pass by them because he has a plan. He wanted the disciples to see who he is. And this word, pass by, when you see that phrase, This is alluding to something that happened in Exodus. Moses is speaking to, or praying to God, saying, God, show me your glory. And God says, go hide in the cleft of the rock, and passes by in front of him, and, and Moses sees Yahweh, the great I Am. He sees his glory go before him. And I think we're seeing something similar here, that Jesus wanted his disciples to see who Jesus really is, that Jesus is that great I Am. That he is the Son of God. And we, rem- we need to remember this in the storm. Christ is using that storm to show you more of himself. He wants, to, he wants you to see that you could trust him to provide for the basic necessities when, when your finances are lacking. He wants you to trust him as a source of strength when you're going through pain or, or through depression. When you're feeling defeated at the end of the day just a regular day he wants you to know that you have victory in him and it's in those moments in storm that we look at Jesus and he is standing on the water he's showing us his glory and that's what his disciple what he wanted to show his disciples that he is the great I am he is God but look at the response look at verse 49 Verse 49 says, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For all of them were terrified. They all saw him and were terrified. Now I, gotta, <clears throat> I can see what the disciples got there. If I was in the boat, and all of a sudden I see this man standing on the water in the middle of the boat, like something's going on here. Um, I, I would probably be a little startled uh, if I'm speaking honestly. So they don't recognize him, and, and they go to the next possible logical choice. right? If, if that's, like, who could be doing that? It must be a ghost. And they were so scared that they, they're crying out, so imagine this boat full of, of 12 men, and they're all, they're all screaming, <laughs> and they're frightened. In verse 50, they're terrified. That word is, comes from, like, like a idea of shaking. They're shaking in their sandals and crying because they see this, this man standing on the water. But this is what the reaction reveals to us, that they didn't grasp who Jesus was. They're still back in Mark 4, right? And when Jesus calms the storm, what was the disciples' reaction? Who is this man? And they're still there. Who is this man? Their fear reflects their unbelief. Anxiety and fear is a hard thing to control during a storm or during a trial. We see everything else that we're familiar with, everything that we're comfortable with be taken away. And it's easy to become fearful. But this is where Jesus speaks to us. This is where we get the comfort, that Jesus comforts us in the storm. Look at what he, what he says to the disciples. They're freaking out. They're, they're screaming. But immediately, in verse 50, he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. This is an immediate response from the Savior. He doesn't want them to be scared. He wants them to be comforted. He wants them to know that I'm here as your Messiah. I'm the one who saves you. And you can take comfort in that. He says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now we know from from our study in John that it is I, uh, in the Greek, ego eimi, is very specific. It's I am. And that I am is going back to the Old Testament where God reveals himself to Moses as a great I am. I am who I am. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, I am him. I am God. You don't need to be afraid. You could have courage. And so that's why we have comfort. When we look at Christ, when we realize that he is in control, that he has a plan, we could take courage. Because, excuse me, because he is God himself. But what I found really interesting here is that he comes up to them and he says this words of comfort, but the storm hasn't stopped. The storms are still raging. Uh, ra- raging. The storm, the wind is still going. But now they have a focus. They have someone to look to. They have Christ there. Uh, I was reminded about a story I once heard. There was a, a boat crossing the ocean. And this boat hit some rough waters. And the crew there was working hard to make sure the boat didn't go under. Uh, one sailor kind of loses it. He snaps, runs up to the bridge to tell the captain, he, he got to do something different. We're going down. He opens up the bridge door, sees the captain. The Captain turns around and smiles. That's all he needs. The sailor is assured. He goes back down to the, sailor, to the crew, and the crew says, What happened? What happened? You went up to the bridge. Sarah says, Well, I saw the captain smiling, and that gave me all the assurance I need. The disciples see Christ standing there, and he says, Do not be afraid. It doesn't matter how intense the winds are. It doesn't matter how big those waves are. Christ gives us comfort because when we see him, we see assurance. We see him for who he is. So you see three encouragements here, that Jesus has a plan for the storm. That Jesus comes to us in the storm, and that Jesus comforts us in the storm. And all these encouragements are all tied to the person of Christ, to who he is. That he is the Son of God. And so we'll see the last bit, that Jesus delivers us from the storm. Now I find it interesting here, as I was doing my study and comparing to Matthew, that Mark does not include kind of what I thought was an important part of the story. Um, the part of the story that we don't have here is when Peter steps out, steps out of the boat. So I want to turn there really quick, turn to Mark 14. We're just going to spend a little time there looking at Mark 14, 28. So Jesus had just appeared to them and in Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew, Matthew 14, 27, we see the same thing. Jesus says, take courage as I do not be afraid. And Peter speaks up. He says, Peter said to him in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, I always thought that was a little bit weird. If you are uncertain, whether that's a Savior or not, why ask him to go out on the water? I don't really get that. But as I started to think about it, well, me, Peter had this small seed of faith. And in the middle of the storm, seeing Jesus, that small seed of faith begins to sprout, and Peter acts on it. So Jesus says to him, come. We read verse 29 through 30. He said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. Now there's something about water that, that kind of shows how helpless we are. I've been teaching uh, Calvin how to swim. And as soon as I, you know, he goes on with his floaties. I take off his floaties. I'm holding him. As soon as he feels my hand go away, he clings onto my, my hand, and I could probably just lift him up like this, because he's clinging so tight. But the fear of going under water overwhelms the trust that his father's going to hold him up. And I think we see that with Peter. Starting to, well, Peter was focusing on Christ, but he starts to look at around. He, he starts to see the strong wind, the waves. He sees a dangerous position, and he just loses it. And he calls out to the only person who could help him. And he cries out to Jesus, Save me! And immediately, verse 31 Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus calls us to faith. He puts our boat in the storm so that we could see him more clearly, so that we could see his awesome power on display. And when we begin to fail, when our faith begins to weaken, when we start to be overwhelmed by the impossible situation, Jesus is there with an outstretched hand, showing us that he could save us from the storm because of who he is, because he is God. So Jesus gets in the boat with the rest of his disciples and the wind stops. The storm ends only according to his timing, only once he gets in, it stops. And you might be in the middle of a storm right now, wondering when is this going to end? Jesus has an end date in mind. It is going to end. And if it doesn't end soon, there's an ultimate rest from all the storms when we go to be with Him face to face. And you'll die knowing how strong that Savior is because He is the one who preserved you through those storms. Now, when we look at the disciples, two interesting reactions. We'll go back to Mark, to our, to our passage. So Jesus gets in the boat, show, uh, the, the, storm, uh, the storm calms, and they... Have two reactions. One I see here in Mark and the other one in Matthew. The first reaction that we see in Mark is one of astonishment. It says, For they, verse 51, then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight in the instant of the lows, but their heart was hardened. So they're astonished, but not for any positive reasons. They're astonished because they had low expectations of the Savior. They didn't pick up from the feeding of the 5,000 that this is someone else. This, this man is not ordinary. This man is God himself. They didn't learn that from the loaves. And I just picture Mark or Peter telling Mark, we did not get it at that time. We were so far gone. And we see the harshest treatment of disciples, uh, the, the harshest wording for disciples, that their hearts were hardened. This is the same wording we see for Pharisees. It's just Peter is just telling, we did not understand but there's a second reaction here. The second reaction we see in Matthew 14, After the, the, the wind calms down, all those in the boat worship him, saying, you certainly, you are certainly the son of God. See, the storm is exactly what they needed. They needed to go through the straining. They needed to see the waves. They needed to feel the despair, see the shock of seeing Jesus stand on the water. And they get it. The next morning, when the crowd leaves Jesus, we see the disciples staying. And why do they stay? Because Jesus has the words of eternal life. And Peter says that they believe and have come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. This is their pivot point for the disciples. This is where it clicks. The storms was worth it. Jesus used it to show them who he is. And we could trust Jesus because of who he is. We could trust him to plan that he has a plan for a storm. We could trust that he's going to come to us and comfort us in the storm. And we could trust to Jesus that he will ultimately deliver us from that storm. Now, perhaps you don't have that ultimate peace. Perhaps you don't have the assurance. You know that Jesus is the anchor, but you have nothing to tie you down to that anchor. Well, this is where the gospel comes in for each and every one of us. We could, be, we could tie ourselves to the anchor because that gospel is our golden chain. We look at Jesus and what he did, that he took his, our sins upon himself, that we have eternal life, and we're anchored. Not because of anything we've done, but all because of what Jesus done or what he did on the cross. And if you haven't believed, you haven't submitted to the Lord Jesus, do so now. You could turn to him, and when you turn to him, these, these storms will be to you, um, you, you, you can count it all joy when you encounter these various trials because you know God's going to give you the faith and peace to endure. This is what these storms are. They're constant reminders of who Jesus is. And it took the disciples two storms and a handful of miracles to get it. So let me challenge you with this question. Let me end with this. The next time you find yourself in the storm, ask yourself this question. Would it be an unfair trade If I went through trial after trial, but worship Jesus more and more for who he is. Those trials show you Jesus more. It increases your worship. And we could trust in Jesus that he's going to anchor us through those storms. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for sustaining my voice. I pray, Lord, that as we go on through our week, we run into those storms, those trials, whether they're everyday storms or whether these are storms that that put us in a season of difficulty. That we could trust you, and that you would show us your glory, you would show us who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for the for being our compassionate shepherd, our powerful provider. Thank you, Lord. Praise Jesus' name. Amen.